This passage is from Isaiah chapter 1. It'll be on the screen and in your bulletin and on page 586 of the Bibles next to you. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Please the, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. And to all who are weary and in need of rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fall and desire victory, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for God's presence, and to whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of his enemies, the defender of the weak, and the hope of all the earth. We are complete fools. Our future is incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this. This is the, uh, a welcome statement from a, a church uh, in Nashville. A friend of a friend wrote it, and I think it, it, it represents our heart for you this morning. Wherever you're at spiritually, however you've come in this morning, not only do we welcome you, but far more importantly, the Lord welcomes you. The Father stands ready to, to embrace you and to, to wrap you into His arms this morning. Uh, as my guy Austin said, this is the start of a new year. Uh, you ask any of the Columbia Townies what New Year's Day is, and they say August 20th, give or take a few days. Uh, so only amateurs celebrate New Year's Day on January 1st. If you are in a college town, you just go with it, you flow with it, you start your year uh, on August 20th. And so, Happy New Year. We are so glad you are here. We are so 
excited to be starting a new ministry year together. We're starting a new series this morning. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. I could not be more excited. And we have, we have literally just prayed up this weekend. So Thursday and Friday, you all got on the Google Docs and you filled up 24 hours of prayer. We ended with Friday night prayer, which required two houses, okay? That's when you know something's happening. And so this, this thing has been, has been bathed and covered and immersed in prayer. And we are so, so eager to see what God might do. And so if you're, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday, we're so glad you're here. If this is your church home, we are so glad you are a part of this little family. If you're just exploring churches or you're new to town, we are so glad you're here. We would love to connect with you and get you into the life of the church if you desire. And so we are, we are overwhelmed with joy and expectation this Sunday. Now, here at Trinity, we often say that we, we care deeply about holding intention two different things. That's, that's true a lot. We're trying not to just solve problems, but often hold things in tension. And two things that we want to hold in tension is, is the gospel and the presence. The gospel is, is the message of our freedom and salvation. The presence is what the gospel welcomes us into. And so God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me where I am and enter the land. And this is really a theme across the scriptures that we are set free in order that we might enter into the presence of God. We are set free from something and we are set free for something. There's, there's liberation and redemption, but there's also welcome and embrace. There's, there's a doctrine of atonement, but there's also the embrace of the Father. And so this is a, a once-for-all-time experience of freedom, and there is a new every morning experience of God's presence. And what happens is if you, if you only have the gospel, it's, it's kind of like you have the key to the house. You've discovered the key. The, the house is yours. You have the key, and you can celebrate in having that key, and it, and it fits the door. But you might never actually enter the house. And at the same time, if you, if you have the presence, it's like having the entire house and yet you can't get in because you don't have the key. So we need both the gospel and the presence. We often say there are a lot of gospel churches and, and we love that, that the gospel has been, has been recovered by, by our word-centered churches, our word-centered brothers and sisters. And there are some churches that love the presence, our, our spirit-filled brothers and sisters, and we say we want both. We don't want these two things to run on, on separate parallel tracks, but we want them to, to come together in our midst, the gospel welcoming us, welcoming us into the presence of God. And so if somebody said, okay, well, where do you see that in the scriptures? We would say, well, the life of Jesus, the, the book of Acts, the letters of Paul. And if somebody was, was really, you know, like they're a first-year seminary student or they're just a hater in general, they might say, okay, well, if that's true, then we'll see it everywhere in the Scripture, right? There'll be a whole, like, Old Testament book devoted to it. We say, ah, we should do a three- to four-month-long study in the book of Isaiah. Because that is exactly what Isaiah is about. It's about the gospel of, of glorious freedom that we have through the blood of the suffering servant. And it's about the embrace of a father who has not given up on his children, who is constantly just calling them back, back, back to himself. 
and making a way for their return as well. This is an incredible and I'm not going to lie, demanding book, 66 chapters, and it is dense. And so we want to look at three questions today as a sort of overview of, of the book. And the first question is simply, why is this so intense? Why is the message of Isaiah so intense? The second question we're going to look at is, what is God's solution to our need? Because it's clear that we're in a position of need in Isaiah chapter 1. So what is God's solution? And then third, simply, Why? Why are we studying Isaiah? For us as a congregation, why Isaiah and why now? So those are the, the three questions. Let me pray for us and we'll get into chapter one. Father God, we are, we are so thankful that you have, you have called us to yourself. You are calling us to yourself. I'm so thankful for each and every person in this room and, and I... I can only imagine how much it took for each person to get into this room. Years, if not decades, of, of you wooing them and drawing them and calling them to yourself. Maybe that only started this year. Maybe it only started this morning. But Lord, we thank you for everyone here. Lord, we trust that your, your word is a, a light into the darkness, a light for our path. And so would you guide us by it this morning as we embark on this big journey in, in Isaiah? I pray that it would, would do in our hearts and souls and the life of our church and our community groups what, what the Spirit series did back in the spring, what other things have done to, to just rally us around a theme and, and especially around these themes of gospel and presence. Lord, we, we desperately need you. We are, we are fools apart from you, and yet you have, you have called us sons and daughters. And so, Lord, open our eyes to your word this morning that we might behold wonderful things there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first question, why so intense? Why, Isaiah, why so intense? Let me give you a little context. Cam, I don't know if they're ready. I don't know if everybody's been in it like we've been in it, but but here's a little context. We'll start in chapter 1. But let me, let me sort of set this up because Isaiah is, is a book that actually just keeps getting better. Like chapter 1 is good, but then literally every single chapter that follows just gets better and better and better all the way to the end. And so we have to sort of crawl before we can walk, walk before we can run, run before we can fly, but we are going to get to some incredible things and, and today's, today's going to be good. We have a lot of hope in today, but, but it's going to be great if we can follow the course of this book. Now, a few things as we're getting started. Who, who is this Isaiah? It says in, in verse 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of four kings of Judah. Now, we know from Hebrew history that when it says Isaiah, son of Amos, Amos is actually the brother of one of the kings. And so that makes Isaiah, a member of the royal family, he's a nephew of the king. He's, he's literally born into Hebrew royalty. And yet, as we're going to see in a moment, and as you heard in the reading, Israel is far from the Lord. They are wandering from God. They are not in love with God as they once were. And so for Isaiah to receive these visions and to speak the word of the Lord almost certainly means rejection by his own family. We see in chapter 8 that Isaiah himself does have a wife and two sons. 
We'll see in two weeks that Isaiah gets this profound calling into ministry when he's brought up into the throne room of God in a vision. He's overwhelmed with a sense of the glory of God, and God anoints his lips, anoints his words, and then says, by the way, no one will listen to you. Literally no one will, will follow you. And according to church history, Isaiah was eventually sawn in half by the Israelites, literally no followers. The most important thing in that first verse, though, is, is Isaiah's name. It's a, it's a hint. It's a clue. In the Hebrew, the name is Yahu, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Or as the JSB puts it, that's the Jesus Storybook Bible, God to the rescue That is the theme of the book, God to the rescue. The Lord saves all 66 chapters. You see that the Lord saves his people. Now, what's happening among God's people? Verse 2, the Lord has spoken. I reared children. I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. God is saying, I created you. You belong to me. I have called you my own children. I rescued you out of Egypt in an incredible way. But you're you're turning back to those, those old things. You are literally breaking my heart. And so what is it that they're doing? Well, in Israel's history, the most frequent sin that we see is idolatry. They turn from worship of God and they worship uh, other, other idols, other, other gods from the other nations. They make a, a golden calf or they, they worship Baal with all of those things. But they're not doing that here. Did you catch that? They're, they're still worshiping God, sort of. Like they're still doing the religious festivals, they're doing all the, the offerings, the sacrifices, they're, they're actually obeying a lot of the law, and yet God says, you are breaking my heart, you have turned away from me. And hear what it is that he says, starting in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I've had more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. He continues on. We didn't read it in the passage, but he says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. They have become a burden to me. He says, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah more than like the children of God. Even though they're actually like doing this stuff. Like they're keeping most of the law, you know. Now there's a couple things. The first thing we see is that they are neglecting the poor and needy, which means they don't understand the heart of God. They're allowing injustice to reign. They're, they're, not, they're not modeling their lives after the life of God. And second, they're doing the law, but their hearts are far from God. That's, that's the biggest thing that he is putting on, on blast right now. He says, busy religious activity was never the point. 
just going through the motions, doing the things, sacrificing the animals, showing up. That's not the point. This is a devastating critique of organized religion that has been disconnected from the heart of God. This is what the Old Testament prophets are for, rebuking God's people for doing the law. It's kind of funny, right? They rebuke them for not doing the law, but they also rebuke them for doing the law apart from a true heart for God. And so why is God's message so intense? It's because it's worse to know much about God and not love Him than to simply reject Him altogether. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, it describes the book of Isaiah as a love letter that God has written to His people. And it says Isaiah kept reading it to Him, kept reading it to Him, but they would not listen. See, what we need is, is, a, is a true awareness. And we need an awareness of two things. We need an awareness of God as, as He truly is, and we need an awareness of ourselves as we truly are. The, the church historian Richard Lovelace, who's studied these great revivals throughout history, he says that revival always begins with dual knowledge, an awareness of God and an awareness of self. He says these are the two preconditions to revival, that people know who God is and know who they are. That we know God, His justice and His love. We understand that He is a holy and righteous God, that He, he cannot bear with sin, that it is against His nature and His glory and His goodness and His holiness to be in the presence of sin. And yet God is pure love as well. He is love. It's not just a New Testament thing. You are going to see it over and over in Isaiah. And so we need an awareness of God, but we also need an awareness of ourself. Both the sin that's in us and the sin that's in all of us, the sin that's in the world. Because if we underestimate that, and if we underestimate who we're sinning against, we have no hope for our own spiritual renewal. Without a proper view of God, we'll think that everything depends on us, that He is a, a far-off God, distant in the heavens, and that means that we have to do everything in our own strength, and our own power. We have to hustle. We have to grind. We have to make it happen, get things done. It's all on our shoulders. And how many believers live, live that way, day in and day out? No, He is better. He is big enough. He is holy. He is love itself. At the same time, if we don't have a proper view of ourselves, we'll underestimate the brokenness in ourselves and in the world. And we think we actually can pull it off. We think we actually can make it happen. Which we can't, of course. Because our sins completely sever us from our Father. Completely remove us from the presence of God. Any ounce of sin against a perfectly holy God is an unbelievably massive offense. Even if you feel like your, your sin is relatively small, that's not the point. C.S. Lewis says it's not the amount of your sin or the sin itself. It's who you have sinned against. And, and even the smallest drop of sin against an infinite, infinitely holy good God is the greatest offense ever. And this is what Isaiah does over and over. He says, Here's your God. Behold your God. This is who He is. This is what He's like. And, and here's you. Here's what you're doing. Here's where you're at spiritually. And that's an awareness that we all desperately need. 
And he's setting up this kind of divine tension, this, this need for some kind, of, some kind of solution, some kind of help, some kind of salvation. We realize it cannot come from ourselves. And so that's the second question. What is the solution? What's the solution that God brings? In verse 18, it says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah heightens the need of a Messiah like maybe no other book in the Old or New Testament. The tension is building and building, and every now and then the hope begins leaking out. In chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so we're, we're drawn up. What could it be? What could be this great light? Is God coming down? Is he going to rend the heavens and reveal himself or, or come down in a, a pillar of cloud or smoke or fire? Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The kingdom will rest upon him. It will come through a child. See, this is the tension. This is our dilemma, the greatest dilemma in our life. That any ounce against a holy and, and perfect God means that we are, we are cut off, like Adam and Eve in the garden. We are removed from the presence because of God's justice, he has to punish the sin. The penalty for sin is death. It's condemnation. He cannot merely brush off all the sins of the entire world. We wouldn't want him to, really. We want his sense of justice. We all have it deep within him. We want him to act against evil in the world. But if we're honest, we see how much of that is in each and every one of us. And so some payment for this, this life of sin of ours has to be made. In chapter 53, we'll look at this in, in great detail, but speaking of his own son, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray, but he, this suffering servant, the Son of God, surely took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of day and be satisfied. And so that's the solution. That's the answer. God has to, has to pour out his righteous justice onto sin. And the only way that it doesn't come down on us is if it comes down on his own son. And so he sends his own son. The son willingly goes and lays down his life, the shepherd for the sheep, so that your sins, which were red, crimson red, might be white as snow. Jesus takes our penalty. He takes the full measure of our penalty so that there is not an ounce of it left. Right? If God is just, then that means if the penalty has been paid for, then it is done. It is over. That is exactly what happens in the gospel, that Jesus has paid it all as the hymn goes. And that's how you know that there is not an ounce of anger toward you from the Father because you are now in Christ. You are one with him. Everything that's true of him is now true of you. 
Everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. Sonship. You, you are an heir of the entire kingdom. You are a child of God. You are adopted into his royal family. Too often, though, I think when, when Christians talk about the, the solution that God gives, they only talk about the gospel, which in itself is amazing, unbelievable that God would restore us to himself and wipe away our sins. That alone is profoundly worth celebrating. But what Isaiah is going to show us over and over, it's not just salvation from, but it's salvation for. It's not just coming out of the darkness, but it's coming into the light. Like Lazarus, we're called to get up out of the grave, but also to receive the embrace of Jesus. It's gospel and presence. He pours his love out into our hearts. He joyfully sings over us. He is present with us. He gives us the key and he gives us the house. Now third, just kind of practically and, and as a church family, why, why now? Why Isaiah? Why, why have we chosen to do this? And we could just look right at the book of Isaiah and say, because we need to be deeply moved by God's holiness and by our sin and, and thus this great need of a Savior that we see in chapter 1. And because we need to, to experience what Isaiah experienced, which is a sweeping vision of God in all his glory that we see in, see in chapter 6. We're also doing Isaiah because we want to remember the wild audacity of God the Son taking on human form, coming as a baby, which we see in chapter 9. You remember the line from the Christmas hymn, A Thrill of Hope? A weary world rejoices. How many people think of Christianity as a thrill of hope? Answer the people who read Isaiah. <laughs> that is your salvation. That is your life. A thrill of hope has been injected into you through the gospel as you are welcomed into the presence of God. Why Isaiah? Because we want to experience the gentle healing touch of Jesus that's described in chapter 42. Because we need to be reminded of the powerful presence of God even with us now that we see in chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the flames, you will not be burned. We're doing Isaiah because we need to see that Jesus has made a way for us. Chapter 53. We're doing Isaiah because we want to deepen a culture of encounter and expectation of unhurried waiting before the Lord and urgent pursuit of him as well. We see that in chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, come. We're doing Isaiah because we want to see and believe the vision for what Christ has come to do inside of us. Chapter 61, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And this is what we as your pastors and staff and community group leaders are longing for. All of it, all, like all of this. And we don't want to settle for anything less. And so just a, a few closing points of application. We'll, we'll kind of go from the lesser to the greater. The first one is simply to read through Isaiah with us. 
You probably got in your, in your bulletin when you came in an Isaiah reading plan. It's, it's a little bookmark. You can stick that in your, in your Bible. There's a, a few different chapters for each week, and, and they mostly correspond with the, the passage that we're going to look at at the upcoming Sunday. We want to encourage you to, to read through Isaiah with us. Number two, walk with us in community. When we do a new teaching series, it's not just a sermon series, but it's a whole church-wide emphasis. And so in your community groups, we're going to be, we're going to be wrestling through Isaiah. That's what, that's what chapter 1, verse 18 really, really says. Come now, let us wrestle with one another. And, and now this is not literal wrestling. We've got some of the wrestling team here. We cannot wrestle you, but we are going to wrestle the, the beautiful truths of Isaiah into our own hearts. We're at, a, we're at a beautiful time as a church family. I mean, just an, an incredible moment. It's like we're still kind of young and nimble, but we finally got a little bit of wisdom and maturity in the room. We're, we're eager, but we're patient. God is doing incredible things in our midst. Back in May, we talked about how we're filling up this space and filling up our kids' spaces. And we, we try to prepare you and say, we think we're going to have to go to two services in the fall. We literally spent the summer working with Christian Fellowship School. They gave us two more kids' classrooms. We're going to just pack out this room and just wait as long as we can. We want to get through the whole fall, if we can, without multiplying into two services. It'll, it'll possibly happen at some point, but can we just celebrate that that's not happening today? Like, so good to be all together. And so walk with us in community. Number three, open yourself to a, a pervasive gospel renewal. Open yourself to gospel renewal. We deeply believe that this is what the Lord longs to do inside of you, to renew you by the power of his gospel, through the forgiveness of sins and really applying that to your heart and life, through understanding that you are his child, that you belong to him, you are, you are safe. This is a leap off the porch and embrace you kind of love. God wants to touch every, every cell in your heart, every, every moment in your day, every relationship in your iPhone contacts, like all of it. It touches everything. He wants to lead you deeper in worship, prayer, fellowship, confession, forgiveness, friendship, the fruit of the Spirit, Christ's likeness. He wants to draw you deeper and he longs to renew you. So your, your human nature and mine, your remaining sin and mine, it, it acts like gravity in our lives, pulling us back down 100% of the time. That's life in a broken world. And we need to hear over and over the voice of God saying, come, look up, lift up, let me carry you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then lastly, consecrate yourself to the Lord this year. Consecrate is the language of, of dedication and cleansing. We saw it in, in verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. We talked about this at, at Friday night prayer in the Old Testament. The priests and the Nazarites were, were consecrated to the Lord. It's, it's a voluntary season of, of cleansing and extraordinary devotion to God. I'll give you a couple uh, human illustrations. I did a bike race yesterday. Went great, by the way. 
You would not be disappointed in your pastor. That's all. Stats are on Strava. I'll leave it at that. But at every bike race, there's some guy that shows up totally consecrated. All right? Usually from St. Louis. The rest of us have got on like the jersey and the shorts, but this guy wheels up and it's like full speed suit, shaved legs, helmet by NASA. His bike's like a razor blade with wheels. I mean, at the Tour de France, this guy would look like too much. But there's one, there's one everywhere. And then usually he gets dropped and we never see him again. But, but that's consecration. I mean, it is all in. So, so you know this person is devoted to the craft. Another illustration, John Tyson talked about this in a, in a sermon. He says, when you're getting ready to get married, that, that season of engagement, that's a period of consecration. We are, we are, we are devoting ourselves to, to, we're trying to purify ourselves. I mean, emotionally, spiritually, financially, we're trying to get ready. Physically, I mean, we're engaged for 10 weeks. I, I recommend short engagements. Those 10 weeks, the most push-ups I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Have only done a handful since then. But we're, we're consecrating ourselves. We're, we're preparing ourselves for something great. You say no to so many things when you're engaged. You're like, not tonight. I'm getting married in eight weeks. <laughs> Laser focus, preparation, consecration. When people get consecrated, when they consecrate themselves in the Bible, it means cleansing, sacrifice, and dedication. Cleansing means, uh, it means us asking, is there anything in my life that isn't in conformity to God's character? Is there any old way in me, some old habit or addiction or relationship that is not what God wants for me? And then to ruthlessly extract those things from your life. This is not self-righteousness. This is not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but this is for people who are children of God, who, who want freedom and purity in their lives so that they might look more like the Lord. You're already fully accepted. John 15, you are already clean because of what I have spoken in you. And yet abide, abide, cleanse yourself, give yourself fully to him. Sacrifice is always included in the Old Testament. Uh, there was always a, a, a sacrificial offering in consecration. We might think of this as, as giving up a, a good thing for a season. It could be some fasting. It, it could be as simple as taking a break from Netflix or taking social media off your phone or being more financially generous or getting up earlier in the morning to spend time with the Father. And then the third thing is dedication, giving, giving your full self to Him, truly dedicating your life. And if, if that feels too big, just start with, with this year. Just even start with this fall. Just consecrate this fall to the Lord. What might God do with your life fully consecrated to him? What might God do with a fully consecrated church? So wherever you're, you're at spiritually this morning, maybe you're even just exploring Christianity and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have any of this. We just say, that's, that's great. Believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, but you are just hanging on by a thread. Man, I've been there. I think we've all been there. And desperation is actually one of the best places you can be in your spiritual life. Just come to Him. Lean on Him. 
Maybe you're feeling harassed or accused by the enemy. Maybe you're excited and hopeful and and longing for more of God's presence and you've been eating up Isaiah already wherever you're at. The call's actually the same. It's to seek his face. Can we just seek his face together? Can we just invest in a season, and this will be literally every season, but can we just invest in a season of seeking his face together? And we do not want to be like the Israelites that, that lost their first love, that were just going through all the religious motions, and God says, you're breaking my heart. I saved you. I, I drew you in. We do not want to just, just play church and then go to lunch. We want, we want God himself. We want the real thing. We want this life that's promised to us in the scriptures. Walking closely with Jesus, his life becoming our life. We are here and, and you are here because the God of all comfort and hope is drawing you to himself. No question. Wherever you're at, God is right now drawing you to himself. And he's saying, he's saying, come. Isaiah 1, 18, come now. Isaiah 55, come to the waters. John 7, come on. Over and over, Matthew 11, come to me. Revelation 22, the, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come, come on in, come to me. Trade your brokenness for glory. Give me your, your weariness and I'll give you my strength. Give me your, your struggle and I'll give you my peace. It's the message of Isaiah. God wants us to, to turn in our ashes and receive a crown of beauty. Let's pray. Father, it almost always feels too good to be true. And perhaps even already the enemy is, is trying to sow these lies in our minds that say, yeah, but, but, but not you. Or, or not because of, of what you've done. But Father, would you remind us that this is a message for each and every person in this room, that you look to us with a smile on your face and say, come on. Come, come to me. Come, my child. Lord Jesus, that you would come yourself and lay down your life is is too much to comprehend. It, It stretches us beyond the capacity of our imagination. But there was there was no other way, and we know that. Holy Spirit, we know that you are are in this room, and we merely ask that you would. Turn your face fully to us. Look upon us. Reveal yourself to us that we might know you and worship you. So Lord, I know there's, there's a lot of, of heaviness and, and a lot of struggle in this room. Would you enable us by your spirit to just bring it to you, just bring it to your feet? Lord, as we, as we offer some prayer in the back of the room, I just want to pray a, a blessing over that that prayer, all of those prayers, that it would be a time of, of healing, 
of renewal and of hope, a thrill of hope for this weary world. Father, you have, you have led us to this place in, in such a, a, a wild path as a church. So we get ready to celebrate our, our fifth anniversary in a couple years. Lord, we just we praise you and thank you for what you've done over these years. We pray that this is just the beginning, that this would be an incredible season of, of consecrated devotion to you. Father, we need you. We love you. In Christ we pray, amen.